Well, it is an awesome privilege to be before you guys tonight. So most of you, I hope I've made myself known to. If not, my name is Paul Cardillo, and I come to you uh, via Calvary Chapel of Kearney. And you got to hear my pastor last Sunday speak. So uh, I come out of that school a little bit. Not as, not as much as him, though. He's got that fire, you know, the Puerto Rican fire, as Luis would say. But we're going to kick it up just a little bit tonight. Um, if you turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, there's Bibles on the side table here. If you need one to look on. Philippians chapter 3. And I have entitled this message tonight, Finishing the Race Well. So we'll see what Paul has to say, and we're going to start in verse 7. And Paul begins, But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Yet, it, yes, yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means... I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or, have, or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The famous jockey, Willie Shoemaker, once lost a race because he thought he had won it. In 1957, on Gallant Man, and in the lead coming to the wire, he mistook a marker for the finish line, and he stood up in the stirrups. The horse took this to mean that the race was over, and he slowed down just enough to allow, to allow another horse to win the race. He took his eyes off the finish line. And thinking he had arrived, not realizing that there was more of the race to go. You know, we can tend to do that, too. We can tend to go through this walk, for any of us who are Christians, and, and we, we take our eyes off the prize. We... We look at our circumstances. We look at the things that are going on in our life, and we forget that God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. You know, Paul says that I have not, I have not already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. You know, Christ has laid hold of each and every one of us for a purpose, for a plan. He's got something for each of us. And we need to continue to keep our eyes on the prize, to keep our eyes on the goal, not to take our eyes off the finish line, knowing that God will take us to the end. The scripture tonight that I, I just refer back to is that Jesus says that I will complete that work in you. That which I've begun in you, I will complete it. And remember that as you're going through your struggles, as you're going through your daily walk, you may not realize that God will He's promised to complete that work in each and every one of us. You know, Paul writes to the Philippians in this, in this beautiful letter. It's really about joy, this letter. And, and not only the joy that they could have in the eternal life, but the joy that we can have here. You know, Jesus said that I have come to give you life, and that more abundantly. And that's the abundant life that we can live here. And, in, 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 you know... The, the joy that we can have in Christ is twofold, though. You know, in life we represent Christ. You know, we are ambassadors. As, as Christians, 
We represent Christ to a world around us that's dying, that's lost, that may not know him. And the only representation of Christ that they're ever going to see is through us. And then in death, we get to see him and worship him. You know, joy, Paul writes, is attainable on either side of eternity for the Christian. And that's something that an unbeliever can't really say. Paul also writes about the joy in the Lord in chapter 3, even while acknowledging his weaknesses. Not to get dejected when we fall, but to understand that we are still a work in progress. And although we may have a long way to go in this race called life, and I pray that all of us have a good long life to live for Christ, Jesus wants us to finish well. You know, it's not as important how we start, but it's more important how we finish. You know, we may stumble out of the gate. I know I, know I stumbled out of the gate as a, as a new Christian, not knowing much, not knowing what God wants from me or, or for me, not having really a, a good idea of, of his grace and his mercy. You know, you stumble out. You, you get saved. He reaches down. He grabs you out of your lost life, and you just sort of stumble out. But that's okay. Paul's saying, listen, it's, it's more important how you finish because in finishing well, God is glorified by our life. You know, Paul even tells us, he gives us his resume at the beginning of this chapter. If you want to just uh, step back a couple of verses into Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6, Paul writes, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I more so, Paul writes. And he wasn't bragging. He was giving his resume. He was giving his credentials. He says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. He knew the law. He knew the Bible. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. You know, for Paul <laughs> to be zealous... Was, was to take more and more Christians and to chop their heads off. I mean, that was zeal to Paul. That was how he showed his religious credentials to the Pharisees. And then he says, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. See, this is Paul's old life. This is what he looked at. This is what people looked at in Paul, in Saul of Tarsus prior to his conversion. You know, he gives us his resume. He followed all the Jewish traditions right from the beginning. He was even born into the lineage of royalty. And he had a great zeal for religious ceremony. And although many people may say, Paul, you started well. You had everything. You had it all covered. Paul realized that finishing well was more important. You know, we can't get overconfident thinking that we have all the bases covered, you know. And no matter how long you're in the Lord, you always have more to grow, more to learn. You know, uh, 10 years, 20 years in the Lord. Paul was 30 years in the Lord when he wrote this book of Philippians. When he said, I haven't already attained. I haven't reached that goal. You know, it should be encouraging to us to know that the great apostle Paul hadn't attained everything that God has had, had grasped him for, that we can still press on. And Paul realized that regardless of all the great accomplishments that he had made in his time as a religious leader, that it would do him no good, no good in his new relationship with Christ. So today I want to emphasize finishing the race well, not looking back, but pressing on to the goal that's set before us. So in verse 7, it says, but what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Paul rejects all the confidence that he could have in his flesh. You know, these are great accounting terms that he uses here. Actually, what he's saying here, what things were assets to me, these things I've counted liabilities. For any of you accountants out there, you can look at the ledger and Paul sort of switches everything around. Everything that we would consider an asset he considered a liability. These things I've counted loss for Christ. He rejects the confidence that he could have had 
in his Jewish religious achievements and deliberately turned from the heritage uh, of, his, of his upbringing and his early religious training because none of those things could bring him into a complete relationship with Christ. Only faith and trust in Jesus could do that. And although many may have seen Paul's accomplishments as great successes, Paul sees them in the light of God's kingdom. And I think that's what we need to do. We need to have a more heavenly perspective about our life and about our walk. We must learn to set aside any confidence that we may have in our own ability in order to be complete in our relationship with Christ. And I know we can tend to do that. We put a lot of trust sometimes in our own good works to bring us into a right relationship with God. But you know the Bible says about our righteousness, it's as filthy rags to God. You know, he, he doesn't look at things. In God's economy, our good works really don't look the same to God as they may to us or to others. And Paul would have certainly a lot of confidence in his hum, human achievements more than probably anybody at that time as far as religious achievements because he was the top of the top. He was the best of the best. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He, he had it all covered, but he counted it all loss. And I love the tense that Paul uses in this. It's not like I look back, I see my accomplishments, and I put them in the liability column, but he's saying I continue to do that. I continue. It's in the present tense. We need to continue. We may have a lot of garbage in our past that we've put aside, but you know, if we really look and we examine our lives day by day, we can continue to do that. We can continue to put it all behind us, call it all loss. And on the other hand, if we look at Paul's past life, they could be considered liabilities. They could also be viewed, viewed as failures. And why, why would I say that? Well, because in addition to his religious upbringing and all his great religious accomplishments, um, you know, part of that was arresting, torturing, and killing Christians. I mean, you know, if we look at Saul of Tarsus from, from uh, 2,000 years later, we could say there's no way that God can use this guy. There's no way that, that this, this persecutor of Christians could ever be used by God. Look at his past and how easily Paul also could have let his past destroy him and consider himself unworthy for Christian service. I mean, unworthy to be used by God. I mean, look at us. You know, I don't know your stories. I don't know where you guys have came, come from. I don't have such a great testimony of, of, uh, of where God has taken me except that he saved me. But many of us might be able to say, look at the horrible things that I've done in the past. Look at my past life and think to yourself, God could never use me. You know, I've just, I've just been such a miserable person. I've persecuted people. I've, I've, I, I've, I've never wanted the things of God. How could he ever desire to use me? You know, when we think about that, we need to think about it in the light of what Paul is saying here. You know, he's saying that, that all of those things, whether they're accomplishments or failures, he's going to move forward. He's going to press on. He's going to walk from this day forward in his new relationship with Christ. Now, there are many examples in the Bible of people allowing their past to get in the way of what God would want to do in, in the future, in their lives. So we're going to look at one, and if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 19, we're probably going to look at, at one of the most well-known. And in Genesis chapter 19, beginning in verse 15, we're going to read this account. And before I do, just to give you a little background, when Abram... And his nephew Lot were going to divvy up their, uh, where, they, where they were going to uh, dwell. 
uh, Abram gave Lot his choice. He says, look over the land and you decide which would be best for you and you, you can dwell there with your family. So Lot chose the more lush and green land, knowing it would produce wealth for him and his family. And that was probably Lot's first mistake, looking over the land and, and thinking that God would bless him in that way and not realizing that what looks best to our eyes sometimes is not what God wants for our lives. But Lot's wife was even worse than Lot was. See, she didn't have a heart for God. She wasn't enthusiastic about the things of God like Lot really was. She was taken in by the riches of this world, as many of us can be. See, she was remembering her past, the riches of Egypt and the riches of Sodom, and, and although she had been warned about the coming judgment, she chose to disobey. So in Genesis 19, verse 15, it says, when the morning dawned, the angels turned, urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. So now we're starting to see the picture of God's impending judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And while he lingered, I don't know why Lot lingered. That's a question maybe we'll have to ask when we get to heaven. You know, when, you know, let me just stop for a second. You know, when, when you get a word from the Lord, when an angel comes and tells you to do something, don't linger, okay? <laughs> just as an aside, don't linger. It's coming, it's, it's the word from God. Just, just be obedient to that. Anyway, but Lot lingered, and the men took hold of his hand. This is God's grace. This is just God's grace. His wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters, and Lord being merciful to him, it says in verse 16, brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought him outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not, what does he say? Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. So there's the warning. Don't look back. Press on. Lot, Lot's wife, we don't even know her name. Lot's family. You know, don't look back. Don't look at the plain. Don't look at the beauty. Don't look at the lush green land. Go on to the place that I'm sending you to. Well, lot compromise. We won't get into that. He doesn't go to where God wants him to go, but that's not the point. So we're going to work our way down to verse 24. And it says, Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah and from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. So you see, what Lot was looking at, the lush green pastures of Sodom, God destroyed in, in the blink of an eye because that wasn't what was important. And then it says in verse 26, but his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. So, don't look back. Don't look back at your old life. I don't want any of you being turned into pillars of salt. Now, God doesn't do that kind of thing. But you see the lesson here that God's trying to teach us. And, you know, Lot's wife was so close to being saved from judgment. But, you know, she was leaving Sodom against her will. You know, she loved her past life more than the life that God had for her in the future. She was guilty of living in the past, not pressing on toward the call of God. We can't do that. We can't live in the past. And we, don't have, we, we can't also have this skewed view of our past, because sometimes we tend to do that too. We tend to look at our past and we tend to sort of uh, massage it and modify it and change it, you know, from what it really was. You know, like the, like the children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, wandering in the wilderness, they would always look back and think of Egypt and think of the, the onions and the leeks and the garlic. And wait a minute, they were in bondage in Egypt. You see, they didn't remember that. 
You know, so many times in our life, we can look back at our past, and it, it, it happens from time to time that we look back and we, you know, think maybe all the fun we had before we were Christian, all the stuff that we used to do, all the friends that we used to have, and we look back longingly at our past life, and we don't realize that we were in bondage. We were in bondage to our sinful life in the past. We don't have the freedom that we have in Christ. You know, that's the, that's the strange thing about being a Christian. You know, when you speak to people about it, they say, oh, you have, any, you have too many rules. You have too many regulations. You're, you're, you're so restricted, you can't do anything. No. No, we have freedom. We have freedom. You know, Paul says that all things we have freedom in. Now, it's our choice, of course, you know, to honor God with our lives or to walk away and, and, to, and to satisfy the flesh, but it is our choice. We have freedom. All things are permissible, but not all things edify, Paul says. We have freedom in Christ. It's our old life. It's our old sinful life. It's our, it's our before Christ life that's, that's bondage and darkness and here's where we're really challenged, guys. I know when I came to Christ 12 years ago, I needed to give up some of those things. I mean, I just felt, you know how you get a burden? You know, you come to Christ, a message was, was preached, and you, and you hear that this, this, this beautiful, beautiful picture of, of our Savior and Lord, he went to the cross for you and for me, and, and he suffered and he died, and and God raised him up, and now we can have that new life in us. All we have to do is trust and put our faith in what he's done for us. You know, we're excited. I know I was, you know, to hear that. And then to give our lives over to God and to, and to say, okay, God, I, I, I'm going to make you the Lord of my life. You know, you, sometimes you get burdened by those things that you're, that you're doing. And so I was burdened. I had to give up books and and I had to give up some television shows, and I had to give up some radio shows that I was listening to, and things that I was taking into my, my eye gate and my ear gate, and, and the things that I knew were displeasing to God. It was just, you know, it, it just made sense. Not because of rules and regulations, but because of my love for Jesus and what he did for me. Not because I'm trying to earn any points, but because it's just, it just should be natural. You know, Paul writes in Romans, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's just reasonable, guys, that we present our bodies to him and we get rid of all that old stuff. Okay, so we gave up a lot of stuff. All right, that's good. But Paul's saying, in the present tense, are you continuing to give that stuff up? Are you continuing to have that desire to put things in your past really, truly behind you? Those things that would hinder your growth, hinder your walk, stumble you, mess you up in this race. Are you continuing to do that? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good and desired day by day? You don't want to go back to that stuff. Because that's our challenge. That's our challenge as we go forward and we see what Paul has to say in this. And I think sometimes as we grow in our walk, we can become complacent, you know, um, in certain areas. And, and, and Paul, you know, 30 years later, he counted those things as loss. He continually, presently counted them as loss. And we need to also. So then in verse 8, we see Paul's gain in Christ. You know, we see the loss of the earthly things, but we see the gain of heavenly things. He writes, yet indeed I also, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, why? That I may gain Christ. You know, compared to the 
greatness, and, and think about the beautiful words that he uses, the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Compared to that, I mean, anything of our old life is really, is really nothing. It's rubbish. It's garbage. It, it doesn't belong even in the same verse, but it's a great comparison. Knowing Christ, knowing Christ should be our goal should be the goal of every Christian to really truly know him, not, a, not know about him, but to truly know him. Because knowing about him is, is, is uh, surface. We need to get deep into our relationship with Jesus. We need to know him better. So Paul puts here a personal relationship with Jesus Christ at the very center of the Christian life. You know, we always tell people, it's not about religion. It's about relationship. Do you really mean it? Do you know what that means? Relationship is all about knowing, knowing one another. In your relationships on a, on a human level, on a horizontal plane, you want to know one another. You want to get to know the ins and outs. And you want them to know you. And that's how relationships are, are forged, and that's how they move ahead. In our relationship with God, it's no different. You know, it's a personal thing. So Paul joyfully accepts the loss of all things for the greatness of this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. It wasn't just a spiritual exercise for Paul. He really did suffer the loss of all things. Um, he was writing this letter in prison, chained to a Roman guard. You know, if you think about all that Paul lost to gain a relationship, to know Jesus better, he lost it all. He really did. Now, we can't say that. We will probably never be chained in prison for our relationship with God. I don't know, this, this country is going, certainly going downhill, but I don't believe that it's going to go downhill that quickly if God tarries. But this was certainly something that Paul could, could tell us from experience. He knew. He knew what losing everything was all about. You know, we may lose family or friends. We may lose status in our community or at our workplace. But no doubt that none of us will lose as much as Paul did, and, and yet he considered it a worthy sacrifice, a worthy sacrifice to know Jesus. And then think of the strong wording that he uses here. He says, and he counts them as rubbish. And the King James translate that, translates that word as dung. Dung. Now, for you who know what dung is, it's dung. It's excrement from the body, <clears throat> or it could be table scraps that were fit only to be fed to the dogs, but I think you get the point. Either way, you know, Paul pretty much put his, his old life, his old accomplishments, all of those things that may have been gain in, in others' eyes, he puts them in that category of being really nothing, garbage, in, in light of knowing Jesus. I love this parable in Luke 13. You, you can turn there if you want. It's Luke 13, verse 6. And it says here, Jesus spoke a parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until till I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not after that, you can cut it down. And in the King James, it's, I love the way it's, it's put. He says, And in answering him, he, he said to him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. Now, for you gardeners, you know that fertilizer is good, you know, whether it's cow manure or chicken manure or whatever it is, 
that, that will really make a garden grow. So what is this parable saying? It speaks of something that the keeper of the vineyard, God, does in our lives as he seeks to have us bear much fruit. You know, he digs around the roots and he buries all the refuse, all the garbage that we thought we could hold on to, hang on to, that, those past accomplishments, those past things in our, in our life. That, and, and God says to us, I want you to bear fruit in my vineyard. I want you to be righteous in my eyes. Let me bury all that junk from your past life. And don't dig it back up. Let it decompose. Let it become fertilizer. And then see the fruit that you will bear for my glory. That's what God tells each and every one of us. I love that parable. I love that. And this brings us to a really important point when it comes to finishing the race well. We need to avoid compromise, guys. We need to avoid compromise because I look around this room and I don't necessarily see any serial killers here or mass murderers here. I, I don't see any of us just going out and committing the worst crime possible. But it's compromise. That's the danger. That's, that's what we need to watch out for as a Christian. And that's the, one of the most effective tactics that the enemy uses against us. You know, he will whisper in your ear, it's not that bad. That's, that's okay. You can dabble in that a little bit. You know, if Satan whispered in your ear, I want you to become a serial killer, we're all going to reject that. You know, get thee behind me, Satan. But, you know, he can very easily whisper in your ear and convince you to lower your guard just a little bit, a little bit at a time. You know, sometimes so gradually that we hardly even notice it. You know, it's like that illustration that you've probably heard many times, I know I have, about a plane going off course just one degree that in not too much time it'll be thousands of miles off course. It doesn't take much. Just a little compromise. A little compromise. And we need to realize that whenever God is working in our lives, that Satan's also working trying to take us away from God, trying to, trying to trip us up, standing in the middle of the racetrack of life and just trying to trip us up, setting those obstacles there. And we need to be aware of that. We need to know that the scheme of the devil is to just take us down. Sometimes it's subtle. And most times we don't fall all at once. It's just a little compromise little at a time. I love the Casting Crown song. You guys probably know it. Uh, slow fade. Listen to the lyrics to, to one of the verses here. It says, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray. Thoughts invade. Choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. He says, people never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. You know, and that's what happens to us as Christians. We don't, sometimes we don't realize it. And you know what it is? It's because we've taken our eyes off the prize. It's because we've taken our eyes off that finish line. You know, Paul writes in verse 8 that I may gain Christ. That's the goal. That I may gain Christ. That's the prize. You know, and although... Paul already had Christ in his life. He was certainly saved and doing great work for Christ. He knew that he still had more to go. He still had more growing in his walk. And he had his mind on eternal things, not on temporal things. You know, and he writes in 2 Corinthians, and this is a verse that we need to always keep in our mind there, that it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So again, he gives us that picture about our old life. It's passed away. It's gone. We need to remember that. We need to bury it, never to bring it back up again. And if we're truly new creations in Christ, created for good works, we need to 
finish. We need to press on that we may finish this race well. And then in verse 9, back, back in our text, it says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. See, because Paul is in Christ, he can renounce all his own righteousness and live by the righteousness which is from God by faith. You know, that's that beautiful that's that beautiful switcheroo, as John Corson would say. You know, that, that we have the righteousness of Christ. You know, that he has taken upon himself our sin. That he who knew no sin has become sin for us, that we may become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. You know, it's that great, unbelievable grace that we see. So that's the spiritual benefit, that we now do not have to look at our own righteousness. We can look at the righteousness that is in Christ because we are in Christ. And that's how we move forward. That's how we don't get stuck where we are or looking back. We need to realize our inability to do anything really worthy of God in and of ourselves, and to put our faith and trust in Christ and in the righteousness of Christ. So let's make application, okay? Sometimes religious people are harder to convince of their need for Christ than someone who's totally a heathen. And I've, you probably noticed that. You probably noticed speaking to maybe your relatives or your friends who, you know, attend church and they, they, you know, they, they sort of do the religious thing. They're the most difficult ones to convince that they need a relationship with God. And that their religious credentials really don't, really don't get them anywhere with God. Well, if you get a chance to talk with them, bring them to here in the Bible and, and show them what Paul thinks of his own righteousness. And then ask them if they know about Paul's credentials. And if they're, if they're a religious at all in a Christian sense, they know about the Apostle Paul. They may not realize what he thinks about his own righteousness. And then he writes in verses 10 and 11, he says, that I may know him, again, know, knowing Christ, know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, that I may know him, Paul says. Again, that personal relationship. And it's not just knowing about Christ, it's that experiential, that gnosko in the, in the Greek. It means to learn to know. It means to come to know. It means to gain knowledge of, to perceive. I love that. Perceive, to perceive Christ. Do you perceive Christ in your life? And I'm going to say a, a, a dirty four-letter word to a Christian. Do you feel Christ? Because that's part of the that's part of the, the word there, gnosko, is to feel Christ. Do you sense him in your life? Not just knowing about him. See, it's deeper. It's deeper than anything that we can imagine in our relationship. And that's what Paul is saying is the real goal, is the real prize in this relationship. It's that deep relationship. It's that knowledge because he says here, knowing Jesus means knowing the power of his resurrection, the power, the new life that we have in Christ as sons and daughters of God. And we can all say amen, Paul, to that power of your resurrection, Jesus. We can all say amen to that. But knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus also means knowing the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, I believe, as Christians, we can relate more to the fellowship of his sufferings than we can to the power of his resurrection. I don't know about you, but I sense my own suffering in this life more than I sense power sometimes. And I, and I know that's sort of upside down, but you know what? Let's be, let's be truthful. Let's put it out there. But you know what? Paul's saying that's good. That's okay. To understand the fellowship of his sufferings is part of knowing Jesus. 
we don't have to shy away from that. You know, we can feel closer to Christ sometimes in our suffering that we experience than we do in the power of his resurrection. And it's not strange that we go through suffering. And we may not like it. We usually don't like it. But we will feel closer to Christ because of it. And it's not just about physical suffering. You know, because Christ did go through physical suffering for us. But it's about, listen, it's about relinquishing our rights. It's about submission to God. And no one did it like Jesus did. No one submitted to the will of the Father like our Lord and Savior. And he's our example to look to. So if we want to gain a better knowledge of Jesus and you suffer for the things of Christ, praise God for that. Praise God for that. Now, if you suffer for your stupidity, well, that's your own fault. But if you suffer for the things of Christ, if you suffer because you're laying down a marker, because you're making a commitment, because you're setting your foot down on the things that you know are right in God's eyes, and you are not turning back, and you're not looking back at that old life, praise the Lord if you suffer for that. Give him glory. You're closer to Christ. You know him better. And then being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Listen, it's all about dying to self as a Christian. It's all about dying to self. Christ died once for all, but we continually die day by day. We die to our flesh. We die to our desires. We die, die to those things that are displeasing to him. And the more we die, the more we live. The more we die, the closer we are to Christ the more we know how to die to self. So being conformed to his, to his death. And then he writes in verse 12, and we're going to try to finish up now. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Paul assures us that even though he speaks with great wisdom and authority, he had not yet come to the fullness of what Jesus had saved him for. You know, like I said at the beginning, Christ had saved each and every one of us for a specific plan and purpose. We have not yet achieved that. If we're still here, we still have more to do for him. We still have more to walk in our relationship with him. And Paul clearly says that. He says, not that I've already attained. I'm not... I'm not perfect. I'm not complete yet in him. That's why I press on, because I know God has more for me. God has more for me. You know, Paul could have been tempted to say, I've arrived. You know, I've attained all there is in this Christian life. But he didn't do that. And I love that about Paul, his humility. You know, his humanity. We can relate to that. And Paul's saying, Lord, I don't, I don't fully realize why you've laid hold of me. Lord, I don't fully realize how, why you love me the way you do. Think about that. Do you fully realize, have you come to a complete knowledge yet of why Jesus chose you or you or you or me to raise up and save? I don't think we'll ever, on this side of eternity, fully realize that. And Paul is, is showing us that. And it actually freed Paul up to live joyously in the finished work of Christ, knowing that God will work in him that sanctification, that day by day, that living from glory to glory. And it's a, and it's a marathon, guys. It's a marathon that only can be realized if we keep our eyes on the prize. So he presses on. He realizes that he hasn't arrived. And so there's one, only, only one option open for Paul. I mean, if we realize we haven't gotten to the finish line yet, there's, well, there's two options. We can either drop out of the race or we can press on to the finish line. Now, I know it can get tough sometimes. Believe me, I know. This Christian life is not a cakewalk. 
it can be very difficult. But be encouraged. Paul went through a lot to show us that we can do it too because we need to put our faith and trust in Jesus. There's no turning back. There's no looking back. And this is the reason Paul pressed on because he knew God had a plan and a purpose, that he would never accomplish all that God had for him if he turned back, if he, if he dropped out of the race. And then in verses 13 and 14, he finishes up and he says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was focused on one thing. Now, if Paul was focused on one thing, I want to know what it is. I don't know about you. But his one thing was that he would not let those things which are behind him distract him. And I think it's interesting to note that Paul boils his whole relationship with Christ down to this one thing. His whole walk down to this one thing. And this is the key to victory in the Christian walk. To forget about the past and to press on towards the prize, toward the goal of knowing Christ better. You know, we often let those things which are behind us distract us, whether they be good things or bad things. You know, Paul had both in his life, no matter which, which angle you looked at it. But he didn't let them distract him, and we shouldn't let them distract us from what God wants to do in our, in our lives. Because you'll either glory in your past accomplishments, or you'll get condemned in your past failures. So looking back is only going to, is only going to, put those obstacles up in our walk. Either way, you become bogged down. Sometimes the good things in our past can be a danger to us finishing the race. Our strongest virtues can become our greatest vulnerabilities. You know, I think about some of the people in the Bible, like Moses. He was known as the meekest man on the face of the earth, yet pride was his downfall. Samson's supernatural strength couldn't overcome the desires of his flesh. And Peter yielded to what he thought was his strength, and it became his greatest weakness. You know, Dave taught, uh, taught us that last week. Paul wrote to the Corinthians about the potential to fall to sin because they lowered their guard, thinking they were above falling. You know, if we want to become mature believers, we, we need to realize that this race is a marathon, and we can't rest on the achievements of our past. We need to recognize the inf insignificance, really, truly, the insignificance of the things that we've done in the past. And we need to live in the present. You know why? Because that's where eternity meets us, right here in the present. That's where God will lead us and guide us, right here in our present walk. That's why we need to continually live this Christian life knowing that Christ will do the work in us and we need to keep our eyes on the finish line, keep moving forward, not to look back. And just one added warning. Satan wants you and I to live in the past. He doesn't want us to live in the present. You know, this is where God will guide us and direct us. You know, it's, it's said in baseball, you're only good as the next day's pitcher. It's true. You can't look at your 10-game winning streak or your 10-game losing streak. You need to think about today's game, today's pitcher. We need to look at life as a Christian the same way. We need to look at life knowing God will lead us and guide us today. It's a present relationship with Christ. You know, you go to a secular counselor and they're going to delve back into your past life and they're going to tell you about, they're going to ask you about your mother and your father and your aunt and your uncle and, and all of those things that happened to you in your past and they're going to tell you why you're so messed up. And God says, no, leave that stuff behind you. Yeah, it's going to affect you. I, I understand many of us have had pasts that have affected us, but we are new creations in Christ. So Paul writes, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God. 
And that's the prize, the call of God. We are called of God for a plan and a purpose. Try to picture this now, running a race. Every muscle straining to reach the finish line, reaching out, sweat dripping into our eyes, stinging us and blurring our vision. We wipe the sweat from our eyes and we have the finish line in sight. We reach toward the goal. We reach toward the goal. We don't look back. Certainly, we don't look around us at our circumstances. We don't look back. We reach toward the goal. And although we may get tired, we don't quit. We don't drop out no matter what it takes because we know that God has a great thing for us. He hasn't given up on us. He wants us to reach forward and have that perspective. And maybe this week you've had a crummy week. I don't know. Maybe this week you feel like you want to quit this race. Maybe you've gotten knocked down. You know, I remember a story about Eric Little. He actually got knocked down purposely by another, another racer, if you've ever seen Chariots of Fire. Knocked down purposely, and he got up, and he made up the distance between him and the other runners, and he won the race. Now, think about that in the context that he already run two races earlier in the day and won them, and in this one, he got knocked down purposely, but he didn't give up. He didn't quit. And we need to think about that, and we need to remember that Jesus Christ is going to take us to the finish line. He's going to take us to that end goal. Spurgeon puts it this way, and this is, I'm going to close here because we need to know that Christ is always with us because we can't do this on our own. Because I know I've tried, and it, it just doesn't work. So think about it this way, knowing that Jesus Christ is always with us. Spurgeon says, we are continually on his mind. He is always thinking of me for my good, continually before his eye. The eye of the Lord never sleeps, but is perpetually watching over my welfare, continually in his hand, so that none shall ever pluck me hence, continually on his heart worn there as a memorial, even as the high priest bore the names of the 12 tribes upon his heart forever. You always think of me, Lord. Here is the comfort for the tired and the afflicted soul. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. And we thank you, Jesus, for that. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Lord, knowing that you have...